St. Paul says, Christ Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Some of you may have heard me say it before, but Philippians is probably my favorite of all of Paul's letters. Chapter 4 in particular has been very instrumental in my own faith formation, but really the whole book is just awesome and encouraging. It's only four chapters. Take 15 minutes this week. Read the whole thing start to finish in one sitting. It's fantastic. In fact, even the structure of the book itself is uplifting. Many of Paul's letters follow a very similar structure and outline, and one anonymous scholar online has helpfully outlined Paul's letters like this. There's five sections. First, grace and peace to you from God our Father. Second, I thank God for you. Third, hold fast to the gospel. Fourth, for the love of everything that is holy, stop being stupid. And five, Timothy says hello. <laughs> Philippians is similar, but it lacks fourth peace. There's no point in this letter where Paul really rebukes this church because for the most part, they're doing quite well. And so it's encouraging. It's full of joy. In fact, it's often called the letter of joy. And so although this church might be facing some internal divisions among themselves, Paul doesn't yell at them or smack them around like he does some of the other churches. Instead, he presents one of the most beautiful texts about our Lord Jesus in the entire New Testament. Verses 5 through 11 in our epistle reading this morning. And following the approach of priest and professor Dennis Ham, I want to present to you three ways that you can read this stunning passage about Jesus. And they're all going to go pretty quickly because, honestly, each one could be three sermons, but I figured that would be too much for this morning. So first, we can read this text as a source of doctrine. Most scholars believe that these verses, Philippians 5, 2, 5 through 11, are actually an early Christian hymn that predates Paul. And if that's true, it means this hymn is a summary of what Christians believed about Jesus within 20 years of his death. Think about how big of a deal that is that we have this hymn. This is awesome. And it tells us all sorts of great things about what the early church believed about Jesus. Let me mention just a couple of examples. One, we learn about the divinity of Jesus. From verse 6 in our text, Jesus was, from the very beginning, in the form of God. In other words, he shared the nature of God the Father himself. Jesus was not an angel. He was not a spiritual being. He was not a good idea or a virtue to follow. He was, and still is, the very essence of God himself. So much so that in verses 9 through 11, he's given the name that's above every name. And what name is there that's any greater than Yahweh, the name of God himself? It's no wonder that by the end of our reading, we see that eventually every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Not a Lord, the Lord. Jesus is truly divine. 
But if that's not enough, our doctrine takes us in another direction, and we learn about the incarnation when this divine Jesus stepped out of heaven and became a human being. Jesus, it says, emptied himself, took on the form of a servant, and was born a man. The infinite, eternal, unchangeable God came down from heaven, all the way down into a finite, temporal, changeable body that needed its diapers changed. Jesus, the divine one, truly was and is Emmanuel, God with us. Again, Jesus was not just a good man, a moral teacher, or a charismatic leader that started a movement. He was God himself living as one of us, serving as one of us, and even dying as one of us. That is the doctrine of the Incarnation. Now, I could go on and on because this hymn teaches us all sorts of other doctrines about the Trinity, the crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension, and so much more. This hymn is full of Christology, theology, soteriology, and lots of other ologies. There's only seven verses, but there are so many doctrinal truths here that Christians have proclaimed for 2,000 years, including Christmas, Good Friday, and Easter, all in seven verses. This is a great and beautiful source of Christian doctrine, and it is a great way to get to know Jesus by diving into this beautiful text. But it's also a great source of Christian devotion. That's my second point, Christian devotion. Now, I realize that doctrine and theology in general can oftentimes seem dry and remote. Anybody feel that way? Anybody turn out my first point as soon as I said the word doctrine? Let me start over. <laughs> no, oftentimes it really does feel dry and boring. This is one of my textbooks from seminary. Doesn't it look like a page turner? <laughs> right? And it's got such a catchy title, Systematic Theology. <laughs> the choir's passing out back there. That's, that's no good, right? I know you can't wait to dive in when you see stuff like that. It's hard to get your mind around. But what I want to suggest to you is that doctrine is important. It is glorious. It is beautiful because it's all about Jesus. It's all about who Jesus is. It's all about what he's done for us. And the more and more we learn about that, the more devoted we become to him, the more we want to know him, the more we want to love him. Let me show you how this works. Our Lord Jesus Christ stepped out of heaven, emptied himself of all the glories and riches of heaven itself. He came down to earth and lived an impoverished life of servanthood. He then suffered and died on a cross, but he suffered and died for you, each and every one of you. You could substitute your own name into this text and say Christ died for me. These are not abstract ideas. This is not an interesting philosophy. It's not even a fairy tale, as great as that might be. These are the historic actions of a person, the incarnate Son of God himself, who did all of this out of love for you. Just a couple of months ago, Thailand celebrated Mother's Day. And there was a little girl who had been adopted by a single father. And although her school was having a great celebration for Mother's Day, 
she had no mother to celebrate with. So her father went out and bought a dress and a wig and some makeup, and he was mom for Mother's Day. Why? Because he loved his daughter and didn't want her to miss out on the Mother's Day celebration at school. Likewise, Jesus envied himself, came down from heaven, took on human flesh, and died on that cross. Why? Because he loves you and doesn't want you to miss out on the celebration in heaven. Because if he didn't do all of this, I'm telling you, friends, we would miss out on the celebration. Right? We all know we're broken and sinful people, right? I always feel like every time I ask that, I'm the only one with my hand up. <laughs> That's, yeah, good. Thank you, Stefan. I see your hand, brother. <laughs> right? Sin breaks our relationship. It breaks our hearts. We end up in a messed up relationship with ourselves, with our friends, with our family, and most significantly with God himself. We're in an absolute mess and utterly hopeless to fix it. And so I want to paraphrase an illustration that I got from Bishop Robert Barron. Suppose my car breaks down on I-270. Far-fetched, I know. And this might surprise you, but I don't know how to fix cars. <laughs> so if my car breaks down, I'm totally hopeless to fix it. There's nothing I can do. Now, maybe I know someone who's an expert. I call them up and say, hey, how do I fix this? I still can't do anything with that information. This does not help me in any way, shape, or form. What I need is for someone to come from where they are to where I am, to come to me, get under the hood of my car, be willing to get covered in oil and grease and dirt in order to fix what is wrong. I need someone who is willing to enter into my dysfunction, enter into my mess, and even sacrifice themselves in order to fix the problem I'm in. And that, my friends, is what Jesus has done for us. He came to us from where he was. He entered into our mess and dysfunction, and he sacrificed himself completely there on that cross to fix and mend what was broken. And because of him, our relationship with God has been restored forever. And now the gates of heaven are wide open to us. Eternal life is available to us because Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. And as you meditate on these theological truths, dare I say doctrine, and you wrestle with them in your hearts and in your minds, don't you want to get to know him better? Don't you want to feel his love more? Don't you want to spend more time with him? Don't you want to love him back? My friends, if you do, then you've read this hymn as a source of devotion. That's what this looks like. So first, we can read it as a source of doctrine about Jesus. Then we can read it as a source of devotion to Jesus. And finally, we can read it as an example that we should follow following Jesus. I don't like having two D's and an F, so I'm going to call this last part ditto. We read this hymn so we can ditto the life of Jesus. 
Have you ever noticed this in your own life that when you spend time with someone, you become more and more like them? Right? When I'm around people who love baseball, I tend to follow baseball a little bit more. When I'm around people who like to laugh, I tell more jokes. <laughs> when I'm around patient and caring people, I find it easier to be gracious and forgiving. And so needless to say, Kimberly has been a good influence on my life. The opposite is not true. <laughs> but this is all why I put doctrine and devotion before I came to the ditto. Before we can be humble and count others more important than ourselves, as Paul calls us to do in this text, we need to intimately know the humble king who emptied himself, stepped out of heaven, came down to us, and put our needs before his. We need to believe in him, to know him, and be devoted to him. We need to spend enough time with Jesus so that we start to become like him. Only then can we do what Paul calls us to do, because what Paul calls us to do looks absolutely impossible. He calls us to turn away from focusing on ourselves and from using our position, our money, our status, our life, and even other people to benefit ourselves and instead to humbly consider others as more significant than me. Holy cow, is that hard. It is so hard to treat other people as more important than I am. It is so hard to realize that I need to love someone else even when they drive me crazy. It is so hard to empty myself and put their needs, not mine, first, or to think of myself less and to think of them more. This is so hard, and we can't do it without Jesus. But my dear friends, I'm telling you, a life modeled like this leads to nothing but blessing for us and for the people around us. Just think about how putting the needs of others before our own will improve our homes, our places of work, our schools, our country, and even our church. If we put our needs first, my needs come first, then how many people are looking out for me? One, One. me, and I'm bad at this. But if we all put the needs of other people before ourselves, then there are hundreds of people in this parish looking out for what's best for me. And there are hundreds of other people looking out for what's best for you. And that will make this entire parish even more loving, even more welcoming than it already is. This will help us avoid the divisions that Paul started to see happening within the church in Philippi. It will bring us closer to each other, and perhaps most importantly and most beautifully of all, it will bring us closer to Christ himself, because all we're doing is mirroring, mirroring what he has already lovingly and humbly done for us. And so doctrine, devotion, and ditto. My dear friends, Jesus is the incarnate and divine Son of God. He gave up the glories and riches of heaven. He emptied himself out and became obedient even to death on the cross for your sake. Your sake. Believe in him. Get to know him. 
by knowing the doctrines of our faith. Worship Him, praise Him, thank Him by devoting your hearts to Him. And then with His help, follow His example by making your life a ditto of His. May we all encourage each other in this process, and may we all do this until that glorious day when we see Him face to face and enjoy His presence in His heavenly kingdom forever and forevermore. Amen.